chapter four, chapter three, we left off at verse 20, which means we pick it up then in verse 21. That would make sense, right? You guys can count. That would be simple math. Read along with me. We'll read the rest of the chapter. We'll develop that, and we'll see if that's as far as we get. It's fairly likely. Up to this point, so you know, well, here, let's just, let's just read. Let's just read and get into it. Read along with me, verse 21. Chapter 3, verse 21. And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to these two kings. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms through which you pass. You must not fear them, for the Lord your God himself fights for you. Then I pleaded with the Lord at that time, saying, O Lord God, you have begun to show your servant your greatness and your mighty hand. For what God is there in heaven or on earth who can do anything like your works and your mighty deeds? Well, I pray. Let me cross over and see the good land beyond the Jordan, those pleasant mountains and Lebanon. But the Lord was angry with me on your account and would not listen to me. So the Lord said to me, enough of that. Speak no no more to me on this matter or of this matter. Go up to the top of Pisgah and lift your eyes toward the west, the north, the south, and the east. Behold it with your eyes, for you shall not cross over this Jordan. But command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him. For he shall go over this before this people and he shall cause them to inherit the land which you will see. So we stayed in the valley opposite Peor. <clears throat> if you read verse 1 of chapter 4, you know where it's going to go. Now, O Israel, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God <coughs> excuse me, of your fathers is giving you. That's where we're moving to. Will you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you for what you're going to do in this time now. Thank you for the blessing of your Holy Spirit upon us, in us, causing us to see what human eye cannot, to prioritize what this world wouldn't, to pull aside and away from that, which in all honesty, we would never do in our own strength. Guaranteeing our inheritance, a seal of our redemption, So much could be said. But Lord, in this room right now, you know every one of us. You know every battle we fight. You know everything we claim victory that we shouldn't. You know the victories that are rightly yours. You know the battles we would even avoid in our own hearts and heads because we don't want to think about those things that we feel unvictorious in. But here in this room, you're going to do a work now, and I'm so confident and excited about it. But for that to happen, Lord, we want our hearts readied, our minds prepared, our lives open, that what it is you wish to speak, we will receive. And I pray in this room that you would speak fluent us. Every one of us. Absolutely in such a way that we would find ourselves with nothing hidden before you. Receiving your mercy and grace. And being thankful that you, Jesus, are our victory. 
You've conquered the grave. You've conquered our sin. You've conquered our shame. You've conquered our filth, Lord. You've conquered everything that we would be sucker to under the tyranny of. And now, Lord, please do your work in each of our lives. If there be anyone here who has yet to know you, to receive the gift of your Son, Father, let today be the day they become keenly aware of that need. And let today be the day they say yes. Oh, Lord, please do your work now. We commit ourselves in this time to you. Have your way, Lord, I pray. Redeem every second. In Jesus' name. Amen. would say today as I would any, please don't just believe me. Don't just assume it's true because I say so. Don't take my word for it. Take the word for it. Search that beautiful book in your laps or app, or whatever it be. In our first three chapters, it started, if you remember, with the idea that after Sihon and Og were taken down, we were prepared to cross over. Sihon again means stormy. He tells us even the son of a man whose name means reason. Og means to go round and round. And God has a place for us, a place of abject fruitfulness, a place of purpose, a place that is bespoke to just you, to use the beautiful recipe of your gifts and calling, to bless and to touch the world around us eternally. And no one else can fill it but you. But for that to happen, those two giants need to go down. The storms that come by reason and the cycle of going round and round and round and round. For moments of great victory and then you turn your back on the Lord. And it becomes all about you and becomes nothing about Him. And then sooner or later you're in that bondage again and you cry out and He delivers you when the cycle starts all over. And when those kings go down, there's ground to be gained, friends. He tells us after those two kings are down, we find ourselves now looking and we're reviewing our history. In chapter 1, verse 6, 2, verse 3, he says, you've spent enough time on these mountains. 1, verse 6, he says, you've dwelt along, along or you've dwelt long enough at this mountain, and that mountain was Mount Sinai, the place where they received and heard the law. Beloved, if you have walked with Christ and sat at the mountain and heard His Word, there becomes this danger where we become experts in knowledge, but our feet are ignorant of any truth. And we know it, because when the battles come, we're scrambling for answers we've just counseled somebody else with. If the only place you've been is in, the, in the, the foot of the mountain of knowledge, and you know God's law, you know his word, but that's all, and you're not taking a place where God wants you to be fruitful, might I say, just like Moses, you've spent enough time at this mountain, let's move forward. Not that you ever leave the law behind, you take it with you. It's sort of like learning the playbook but never taking the field. The only people who learn the playbook who don't take the field are people from the other team that are spies. Think that through. He has said then, remember when God says take the land, there were two reservations, Moses' reservation and the people's. Moses says, well, then I need more people. Because if we're really going to get busy, and I want to warn you, serving the Lord is messy. Have you learned that yet? The Bible says in Proverbs, when the ox is gone, the stall is clean. But much work is done by a mighty ox. 
by great gifts that God brings in of people who are called to the work, it makes things messier. And if what you really all you want is a clean pen, no work gets done. I want to warn those of us who can be given to micromanagement. You can keep a clean stall, but the way to do that is you have to eat the ox. And Moses' reservation is, if we are going to do this and be active as a church, as a people's, we're going to need more leaders than just me. And that makes sense. I'm not the senior pastor of this church. Jesus is. I'm not the chief shepherd, nor ever will be. I'm his under-shepherd. I get my cues from him, and he's the one that I have to account to. I'm very thankful for that. I'll be accountable to you too, by the way. I have pastor friends who say the reason God made them pastors is because he knew they needed all that accountability. I can't go anywhere in London without running into one of you, which, by the way, I don't object to. I'm very thankful for it. The people, on the other hand, their reservation wasn't we need more people. They were already people. What they said is we need more proof. Tell us more about the land. The problem is the more you hear about the land, either the more you want to go take it or the more you become an expert in a place you've never been. There are giants there. That's the problem. But God says in 121, and if you're in your Bible, flip there with me so we can see it together. Look. 121, look. The Lord your God, not just the Lord God, not just the Lord and not just God, but the Lord your God. You need to take possession of this God if you're really going to see the victory He wants for you. He has set the land before you. Go and take it. As the Lord God of your fathers has spoken to you, do not fear or be discouraged. The people, of course, are saying, no, 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 giants. All we see are giants. We don't see the fruit that has been brought. We don't see the good report that says God, it's everything God said it was. All we see are how big the battle is going to be. Verse 29 of chapter 1, look at it with me. The response, then I said to you, do not be terrified or afraid of them. The Lord your God, notice it's always that, who goes before you, He will fight for you according to all that He did for you in Egypt before your eyes. Preparing us for where we're at in this last portion of chapter 3, twice the exhortation is, God's the one who's going to fight the battle. Follow them into victory. God bless you. And I mean that word for word. Chapter three, verse, chapter 2, verse 3, God talks about the second one. You've skirted this mountain or gone round and round this mountain long enough. It's time for me to walk you through how I, the Lord your God, have already taken down many giants before this point. With Esau, it's the Horites. With Moab, it's the Emim. With the Ammonites, if you remember, it's the Zamzumim. With the Kaphtarim, it's the Avim. In all of those cases, he says, don't go fight those people. I've given them that land, and they took down giants to get there. I remind you, in the first case... He said, you've been long enough at the foot of the mountain where you've only heard and not done. It's time to go. And God says, I'll give you some people. Don't worry. I'll give you some leaders. Follow me. In the same way, can I say that the moment you start seeing God provide in such a way, God is taking down your og. That storms that come by reason because your focus gets on him and not on the circumstances. And God's got to take down your og. You've got to leave the mountain to get there. What you find is that you will, if led by reason versus faith, not that faith is unreasonable, but it surpasses reason. There are things you can't explain. People say, explain the Trinity. I'm like, how? It is, we're talking about something in a univer, you know, universal, inf infinite realm, and we're trying to explain it in our tiny little mind. It's like trying to explain calculus to someone who doesn't understand how to add. 
And people are like, well, well, until I understand, I'm not going to do it. Dostoevsky understood that when he wrote Notes from the Underground. Brilliant enough to be stupid. He was one that no matter what he saw, he had already decided how it would fail, and thus he didn't do anything but make himself and anyone near him miserable. Is that what you want to be? God hasn't intended that. And the og has to go down. How does that happen? Get up. Go get about the business of the Lord. That's your og. Second chapter, you've gone round and around the mountain long enough. Don't you think that's an interesting thing since our second king to take down was Og? Round and round. Let me show you how I take down giants so that you can take down your giants when you follow me. So, here's Esau. Don't mess with them. I gave him the land by taking down giants, the Horites. Here's Moab. Don't, don't mess with them either. Don't muck with them. I gave him the land when I took down the Amim. Here's Ammon. Don't muck with them. I gave him the land when I took down the Zemzumim. The Kaphtarim as well in Avim. And he says, now let's go take down our Sihon, our Sihon, and our Og. And we did. And we're standing in the land of those conquered kings. The land of those conquered giants. He says, now let's take the land. And that takes us to verse 21 of chapter 3. I didn't just command the people. Moses knew that he had a successor and his name was Joshua. Joshua was originally born with the name Hosea, which means salvation. But his name gets changed along the route to Yehoshea. Yah, like Yahweh, means God. So his name went from salvation to God is salvation. Can I say, that is the transition we make when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. We go from just trying to find salvation, which, by the way, means rescue and wholeness. There are many Christians who don't realize Christ is our wholeness and not just our rescue. And we move from where it's our personal strength to his. From our personal rescue to Christ's, the rescuer. And as that is the case, Moses, who is the giver of the law, cannot take you into the promised land. The book of Galatians makes clear, by the way, that the law had a specific purpose. That's Galatians 3, verses 24 and 25 when it says that the law was our tutor to lead us to Christ. Nobody goes to heaven by doing things just the right way. Keep up all your good works, you're still guilty, and because we're guilty, we still have to have that guilt dealt with. That's the problem. So please hear me, beloved. Moses can lead us to the Jordan, But Yehoshua has to take us in. Now, Joshua was one of the 11 most common names, by the way, among the Hebrew boys during the time of Jesus. Oh, did I mention how you say Joshua in Greek? Jesus. The name Jesus is just the name Joshua in Greek. So you need to recognize Jesus was not called Jesus by his disciples. Have you ever thought that? Unless they spoke it in Greek. Well, here Joshua's going to take the torch and Moses now is handing him it. At least bequeathing the, the charge. And it says in verse 21, And I commanded Joshua at that time, saying, Your eyes have seen all that the Lord your God has done to those two kings. You already have a history of God taking down giants. He's taken down Egypt systematically before you ever left it. And then he's taken you to where you've seen Sihon go down and Og go down. So will the Lord do to all the kingdoms through which you pass. You must not 
fear them, and this is why. And before I even say, I'd like you for a moment to think about what you're in fear of right now. What battles are you afraid of? Dying single? Not being liked? Having life mean nothing? Having, not having any purpose? Trying really hard but it not being good enough? Some relationship that's gone sour? Some circumstance that keeps bidding at you? Perhaps it's a physical limitation. Maybe it's your past. And it still keeps cropping up to fight you. And you feel insecure. You feel like you're not enough. You feel like there's the world and you're somehow below it. Maybe it's an addiction. What battles are you fighting? The issue of the battle is not that we ignore it. And for some of us, we'd like to ignore those things that make us feel pretty rotten about ourselves. Wouldn't you agree? But he says, look it. I don't want you to fear those things. You're going to fight them. But here's the good news. The rest of verse 22. For the Lord, your God himself, fights for you. That's the point. Do you realize this is the difference between us and everyone else in the world? It's interesting 500 years after Jesus, there will be a man who will kill many people. He will tell everyone that the Bible is false, that the Old Testament is to be rewritten, and he'll add characters, flip it around a bit, and if you disagree, he kills you. And his, mind, his main thought is that God calls people to fight for him. But Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would be fighting. My God fights for me versus me having to fight for him. That's the danger of being driven by an apologetic-led mindset, to be honest. Because what we're trying to do is defend God. That's a great idea, isn't it? Yeah, you're going to defend God. So there you are. Let's say you're kind of Naomi's size. That's four foot something, five foot something, whatever. And the guy that she's trying to protect is like the big show or whatever that guy's name is, the wrestler that's like seven feet tall. He could fit her in one of his pockets. And that's infinitely smaller in proportion than the God we serve who has just walked us through giant after giant graveyard. Well, then why even go to the fight? Wouldn't that be a reasonable question? If God's going to fight my battles, why don't I just sit here until he takes them down and then just say, well, then go and grab the land? Well, let me ask you, what do you think is the greatest battle the Israelites have seen up to this point? Do you think it's Sihon or Og? I don't. I think it's Egypt. See, the problem with Egypt is we were there for 430 years. 400 of them, we were slaves. That means it's everything our great-grandfather knew, basically. Well, at least our grandfather was total slavery. They've beat us. They've whipped us. They said, do this, and we didn't even ask how high we just did it. Yes, sir. And we know the whip on our back. We know the violation of the people around us, and we know how people among us were being killed mercilessly just because we weren't keeping quota. So we could make bricks so they could build things that today we spend lots of money to go visit. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty if you've seen them. I'd want to see them too, to be honest. So why lead you to the battle if he's going to fight it? Well, Follow me on this for just a second, if you will. And we're going to lead through a couple examples in Scripture. So if you've got your Bibles, be ready to do some turning. There was a friend of mine back in Chicago who had been regularly abused by an uncle 
for a very long period of her life. To be honest, almost all of it. It's all she could remember. He had dominated her. She could feel his breath on her neck when he wasn't near. She was afraid to have any relationship, friendship or anything with anyone because she felt so dirty, so tweaked, so abused. But by God's grace, and I didn't even know the Lord but I, at that point, but we had developed a friendship. One day, her uncle passed away. And they were holding an open casket funeral. She, of course, was invited. And as you might imagine, she had no interest in going. Something inside said, I think you need to go. I really, and I didn't even understand why at the time. But with great conviction, I'm like, I really think you need to go. I'll go with you. I would never want you to go to this alone. And after a great deal of resistance, she went. We sat through a rather lengthy service. She was sweating, hyperventilating, as you might imagine, several times crying, grabbing my hand to where I'd lose circulation in it. I should go. No, you shouldn't. I should go. No, you shouldn't. I should go. Stay. And at the end of it, some of you are familiar, often the ritual then is to come up and take a look in the casket. And of course, that was the one thing she did not want to do more than anything. It is one of the most profound moments and sublime moments that I can remember before knowing Christ. He says, I'm going with you. We're going. And as we went, there was a point where I genuinely felt like I was carrying her. I mean, I could feel all the weight as she was going limp taking those two gigantic steps up towards that casket. She's breathing heavily, and I'm like, long, slow breath. And when she saw him dead in that casket, the statement was, Anna, is he dead now? Do you see him dead now? He's dead now. He will never be a threat to you again. Everything at that moment changed. I no longer felt the weight of holding up this poor girl. She walked out of there and from that day forward, as much as I'm aware, had never had another nightmare. Never felt the breath on her neck again. There is a mercy in seeing your enemy dead before you. What God does is he will take the enemy before you and then take him down. Why does he want you there? So you can see that that thing is dead and it will never be a threat to you again. That's the point. He will allow that enemy to look big, to get big, to vaunt and to boast and to belly laugh right in front of you so that you know it's Him. So that you know This wasn't a bad day for him. This was him at his best when he went down. This was him at his strongest when he went down. This was him at his greatest when he went down. The important thing is, he went down. Your past, it's over in Christ. He nailed it to the cross, buried it in a tomb, and when he came out again, he did not take it with him. It's over. You're a new creation, beloved. You are a new creation if you are in Christ. Exodus 14 
second book of the Bible. Flip there if you could. Moses' statement. Giving you time to get there. Exodus 14, verse 13. The Egyptians have them cornered. During the time that Moses is taking them out of the land, Egypt is at its height. They are considered invincible eternally, and that is the boast of the Egyptians. Verse 13 says, Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. Stand still and see the salvation of the Lord, which He, who? He will accomplish for you today. He's going to accomplish it. You're not going to do it. Moses didn't say, which I'm going to accomplish today. He says, God would like to show you how He is going to bring salvation today. For the Egyptians... Whom you see today, you shall see again no more forever. Here's a new mantra. Although I hate to use that word because that's sort of an Eastern thing. But try these three words. No more forever. How's that? I've been dominated, but guess what? No more forever. I've been a sucker, but guess what? No more forever. I've been weak, but guess what? No more forever. I've been a fool, but guess what? No more forever. My God, when he takes it down, he says, let me take it down in front of you so you can be convinced. No more forever. The next time you see them, they're going to be floating. And when they float, you can look and go, oh, when God said no more forever, what he meant by that was no more forever. Try it once. Just say it once. Try it. Oh, I know this is Britain, but this is also London. There's a lot more passion here. Give it to me once. Come on. That's the point, beloved. And God says, let me take you there. He can do all he wants. He can wave his hands and go, and he can spin around and turn green and look scary or whatever the case is. But in the end, no more forever. You get it? Second Chronicles. Can you find it? Almost right before Job. It's right before it'll be the Esther and Nehemiah and Esther go right before that. That's the Chronicles. Second Chronicles, chapter 20. Second Chronicles, chapter 20. Some of you, it's easy. You flip through your phone. Second Chronicles, chapter 20. Let me tell you a little bit about what's happening here. There was a king named Jehoshaphat. Who names the child Jehoshaphat? Apparently, Jehoshaphat's dad did. And Jehoshaphat, like some of us, has the gift of leap first, pray later. Some of you know that gift? He does all kinds of stupid things and he goes, oh, maybe we should pray now. Well, if you know how that feels, well, then you know how. I just say, you another Jehoshaphat. In this situation, and it's actually quite funny, some of it. This part, if you were there, it wouldn't be funny at all to you. But in Second Chronicles chapter 20, there is a group of people that are taking on his enemy, which he has now found himself in the middle of. It's interesting because... The king who is in the north, by this time the kingdom is divided. There's, t- there's ten of the twelve tribes north, two south. Ten, that's, would you agree that's the majority of twelve? A, ma- a vast majority of twelve? And they are being troubled. 
And what happens is he goes and sits with this king, Ahav. And God says, this guy is just as wicked as it gets. And just to make things worse, then he married that Jezebel. Hey, you know you're in trouble when God calls you something that something. Oh, that Jezebel. (laughs) With that Jezebel, there was no limit to how horrible this guy was going to be. And in this then, in chapter 20, there's a battle. And Ahav says, to Jehoshaphat, would you like to join me in this battle? And he goes, well, let's call out the prophets. And there are a lot of false prophets. And they all do their dance and sing their song. There's no, listen, just because some guy's prophesying doesn't mean it's true. And this guy's got every yes man on staff. I mean, there are guys that are like, yes, with the horns, you're going to gore the Syrians. And Yoshifat, listen to this guy. He turns and he says, yeah, you got a lot of prophets, but do you have any real ones? I mean, like any like godly ones. And here's Ahab's answer. Don't just believe me. Search it out. But this is his answer. Well, there's this one guy, but I hate him because he speaks bad about me. Do you think there's trouble when someone says, well, there's this one guy that actually speaks the truth about God, but I hate him because he only has bad things to say about me? Or do you know anyone like that that's a good friend? That's like, I don't want anything to do with the scripture because I know it disagrees with me. Same thing, isn't it? And, and, and Hoshaphat's like, wow, you shouldn't say that, buddy. I tell you what, let's do this instead. Let's, um, well, what do you say we, we get him out anyways? And he comes out and he's like, oh, yeah, go ahead to battle. Oh, that's great. And he goes, tell me the truth. And he goes, okay, well, this is what happened. A lying spirit came in, filled these guys, and they want you to go out there because God wants to kill you. Okay, now follow me on this. You're Jehoshaphat. And you just heard from the one prophet that tells the truth. Oh, God wants to kill Ahab, the king. Are you with me so far? Now, what part of you thinks this would be a really cool thing to wrap around? So who wants to go to battle? And here's the best part. You ready for this? Then he says, well, let's go to battle anyways. But King Ahab says to Hoshaphat, but I'm not going to dress like a king. You dress like a king. Now, work that through in your head. Any part of that sounds smart? And Hoshaphat says, okay, yeah, that's a good idea. Really? Are you serious? I mean, okay, so here's the best part, right? So they're going to go to battle. And though they're going to go to battle, the only guy dressed like a king is Jehoshaphat. Though God had just said, God wants to kill Chav, and he goes, like, why don't you dress like me? Really? Where, where's the pray next part, right? So they go to battle, but in this battle, they're completely surrounded ultimately by the Ammonites and those of Mount Seir and so forth. And they are surrounded, man, and it's looking scary. And they're like, okay, we really need to pray. And as they're praying in this battle, finally, a guy named Yahaziel stands up, empowered by the Lord, and he says, listen. And this is his response. And follow it with me now. We're in 2 Chronicles chapter 20, verse 15. Thus says the Lord to you, do not be afraid nor dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. Oh, we love verses like this. The problem is, is that we would claim that for anything. I quit my job. I don't have any money. And there's a bill come. The battle's not mine. It's the Lord. Well, you might need to get a job. You ever heard the story about the guy that was drowning in the water? And he's like, oh, I know the Lord's going to rescue me. And a a, a helicopter goes by, drops a lander. He's like, no, 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 no. That's okay. The Lord's going to rescue me. And then a boat comes by. And he's like, no, 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 no. The Lord's going to rescue me. And then finally he dies and he stands before God and he's like, how come you didn't come? He's like, I sent a helicopter and a boat. You get the point. Even when you make dumb choices, that doesn't mean God will not. He doesn't want to bless your mess. He doesn't want to encourage you to continue to make stupid choices. But that doesn't mean God won't take the battle for you. Here's the best part. And one of the, my favorite parts about it, that though it's the case, they start chasing after Yehoshua. And Yehoshua's like, oh, and he starts fleeing like a little girl. And they're like, that's not the king. And it says, lo and behold, there was just a soldier. Doesn't have a name in scripture. Just a soldier with ADD who shot an arrow at random. So he's got, like looking at his bow and he's like, doing, doing, doing. Well, that makes a cool noise. Doing, doing. Hey, what happens? Oops, where'd it go? And it nails King Ahav. And the one place between his armor. Oh, God knows what he's doing. Here's the point. Do you feel surrounded? Do you feel like you're outnumbered? Do you feel like maybe it's your past? Maybe it's an addiction. Maybe it's the world around you. Whatever it is. And you just feel sucker to it. 
And, and his response, Yehoshua's number is basically, he says, by the way, stop freaking out. God knows what he's doing. The battle isn't yours, but he's going to take you to it. And one of the things you're going to do there is watch him take down the giant. Another thing you're going to do is get the spoil of it. He's going to give you the blessing of that victory. Is that crazy? I don't deserve it. That's grace, by the way. Go to chapter 32. Second Chronicles chapter 32. Oh, I love this stuff, by the way. I hope you're enjoying yourself as much as I am. Verse 1 says, after these deeds of faithfulness, and we're speaking, by the way, of a guy named Hezekiah. This is really, really important. And let me tell you why. Remember how I said the kingdom divided? And that's roughly, by the way, in the 900s B.C. By the 700s B.C., those ten tribes had become so sick, so spiritually unfaithful that God says you need to get you need to go back in the furnace and they are taken by a group of people a country that almost completely dissolved because of civil war a country called Assyria you know what rescued Assyria from total annihilation somebody went to its capital barfed out by a fish does that sound familiar bleached white from the acids, walking through a place where people worshipped the fish god. And he comes in smelling like fish, saying, I just came out of a fish to tell you 40 days in your toast. And the people repent. Jonah's not real happy about it. He wants him dead. Because they're known for skinning you alive and watching you cry out as you die. They were kind of real wicked. They were known for taking meat hooks, shoving it in your chin, and dragging you by horses. They weren't nice people. Oddly enough, though, when that prophet, who, by the way, is from Galilee, so when the religious leaders say, search the scriptures and see that no prophets come from Galilee, I'd say to them, search the scriptures, Jonah. At this point now, when Assyria gets repents, they become solid as a nation. And then they go back to their wickedness. And then they start running over everything like a good lawnmower. Nothing stands against it. And they have just taken the kingdom of the north. Those ten tribes of the north have just been conquered by Assyria. Who was the king of the south when that happened? Hezekiah. So in Second Chronicles 32, verse 1, when it says, After these deeds, Sennacherib, king of Assyria, came and entered Judah, I'd like you to realize who's fighting against him at this moment. Assyria in its heyday. Never before was it this strong. And it has eaten everything in its path. How do you feel about that when you're in Judah? Do you see what I'm saying? God will allow the enemy to be at his greatest strength before he takes him down so that you know he was never a challenge to God. And it says he came and entered Judah. He encamped against the fortified cities, thinking to win them over to himself. And when Hezekiah saw that Sennacherib had come and that his purpose was to make war against Jerusalem, he consulted with his leaders and commanders to stop the water from the springs which were outside the city, and they helped him. Which, by the way, that's one of the ways you surround a city, is you cut off their water supply. What Hezekiah had done, some of you who will go to Israel with us will be able to walk Hezekiah's tunnel, as he bore a tunnel about a mile long, about a kilometer long, from the Gihon Spring, so you could actually get water. So though they were surrounded, going, well, they should come out any day, they were there sipping iced tea, is the idea. So he's like, well, then go ahead and stop the water. And they helped him. And then it says, verse 4, Thus many people gathered together who stopped all the springs and the brook that ran through the land, saying, Why should the kings of Assyria come and find much water? And he strengthened himself, built up all the wall that was broken, raised up all the towers and built another wall outside. Also he repaired the Milo and the city of David, which is the south end. By the way, Jerusalem as a whole is shaped like a paintbrush. Just so you know that. The area of like the Temple Mount and such is the 
the brush area, and then the, what we'd call the city of David is like the handle, just so you know. And it says that he set then military captains over the people, gathered together, to them together to him in the open square of the city gate, and he gave them this encouragement. This is Hezekiah, by the way, saying, Be strong, verse 7, look at it with me, and courageous. Does that sound familiar? Isn't that what Moses is telling Joshua? Do you need to be told that today? I'm not just telling you to be courageous. I'm telling you to be strong. It's one thing to have courage and run to your own destruction. You could be courageous, which, by the way, could just be stupidity. You say, I just think I'm bigger than that bus. Then you run in front of it and discover you're not. But to be strong and courageous means that I know that my hands are ready for the battle before me. Why do I need them strong if God's going to fight it? Because I'm going to need them strong to carry the spoil. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid, nor dismayed before the king of Assyria, though he's taken out everything before us. Notice, he's not really bringing that up here because it's not the point of how big or how strong the guy is. And you could have people, have you ever done this? Like when they pray for you, you feel worse? They're like, Lord, I just want to pray for my friend. I mean, this could end in death. I, this could be a horrible, painful, miserable death. And if it really gets worse, he's going to be nasty and, and contagious. Oh, Lord, just don't let me get it. And, it, and by the time you're done, you're like, whoa, wow, that focus was really not on the Lord. Lord, I don't know why you would do this to him. And they're suffering, and you just know what's miserable. And more bills are coming, Lord, and they don't have any money. And Let's stop looking at the giants for a second and start looking at the giant slayer. Look at it. Do not be afraid or dismayed before the king of Assyria, nor before all the multitude that's with him, for there are more with us than with him. And you go, how is that? That seems like an innumerable army. Well, if all you're looking at are the peeps in the room, it looks small. Until you look at the heavenly host that is surrounding them, and you realize they're the thing in the middle, everything changes. Can we be honest? If you're going to be full on for Jesus, I'm not going to say, I'm not saying that you just claim that you go to church, or you're going to call yourself a Christian, but you want to say you want to be full on for Jesus. In a, in a city like London, you are not going to feel like the majority. And you're going to feel surrounded by a whole lot of other things and movements and motivations and momentums that are clearly contrary to where you stand. You may even find a lot of them among those who call themselves Christians. And they'll look at you like you're some kind of closed-minded legalist because you don't want to go do the things they do when what you really want to do is be a blessing. Remember, take the land. Can I just say to you, there are more that are with us than with them. You just may not see it. And then verse 8. And here is the point. With him is an arm of flesh, but with us is the Lord our God. Do you see that? To help us and to fight our battles. And the people were strengthened by the words of Hezekiah, king of Judah. When you be strengthened, well then let me say, then get strong. Remember, be strong and courageous. How do I need to get strong? Let me just say this again. I don't care how much steroids they've taken. I don't care if they could bench press a limo. It's still the arm of flesh. Oh, I don't care what kind of weapons they may have. If the best thing they could do is take down this body, they can't touch the soul. All they can do is handle the temporary tent. Oh yeah, you can rip this tent. I, can, I do it all the time. Accidentally. But the good news is one day I'm moving home. And when I move home, this tent is not going with me. And can I say hallelujah? I don't want to drag this thing with me. How about you? I'm like, oh, but I like my tattoo, or I just like my ear piercing. I'm like, really? I finally, it took me 13 years to grow a mustache. Take it and leave it. Let it feed some worms. It's okay. With them is the arm of flesh. Oh, they got it. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. Do you see that? And that's been the problem, beloved. And I'd like to speak to you now and say, don't fear them. The Lord your God himself, he fights for you. Moses is like, can I please go over? God's like, I'll take you up to this hill and you'll be able to see. 
You wanted to see? I'll show you, but you ain't going in. I want to warn you, though. God's a softy. Have you learned that? You can't go in right now. You represent the law. And as in representing the law, you can't take people over. But let me say this. If you look at Matthew chapter 17, when Jesus has his board meeting, it's the highest hill we read. It's a very high hill. Most of us believe that it's Mount Hermon. What's important about that? What he wanted to see was Israel and Lebanon. You can't see that from the south. Mount Hermon's on the, in the promised land. But he says, please let me go in. He's like, not now. But I'll take you in, in my time and in my way. And Jesus is going to have a board meeting with Elijah and Moses. Why? Because he's going to tell us that he's the fulfillment of all the law, Moses, and the prophets. Elijah, do you get it? So it's good to have a rep from both to show. But the nice thing about being on that high hill of Mount Hermon is you don't just see south, the good land that God promised Israel. Do you know what's north of Mount Hermon? Lebanon is what's north of Mount Hermon. Moses got to see everything. He, that God, God's like a softy. I understand that as a dad. There are times where I'm like, look at no, but there will be a time for this. Five minutes before dinner is not the time for a cupcake. We're all aware of that. But it's amazing how many times children think that that's just, it's just logical. Doesn't make sense to me. Now, some of you, this is shattering your, your dietary practices. Some things, listen, some things are good later. Do you hate that word like I do? Please, let's get this through and we'll close this up, believe it or not. Maybe. You know me by now. It's my intent. God's answer isn't always yes. Let's make an agreement in this room, beloved, that if God says no, that's still answering your prayers. I've been praying for this and God has not answered my prayer. Yes, he has. I've been praying for a husband. I'm waiting for that husband and God hasn't said yes. Maybe he said later, but he said something. He's not answering my prayers. Can you imagine? God's like, no. Anytime you want to say it, God, anytime you want to answer my prayer, no. Anytime, Lord, I'm just going to sit here and wait on you. I'm going to wait on you. Finally, sooner or later, we're like, I'm just going to get up and do it myself. God needs a little bit of my help. Has that ever worked out well for you in Scripture? It doesn't work out well. Are you different than Scripture? I took matters into my own hands. We had an Ishmael. This is really great. Now we've got all kinds of family unity. Doesn't work out that way. Putting a bunch of people in a room doesn't make unity. We know that. And people with differing directions don't create unity. Take two cats, tie them by the tail. This is actually metaphorically. I'm not telling you should do this. Tie them by the tail, hang them over a clothesline. You've got union. You do not have unity. Might I say to you, the Lord wants unity in His Spirit. And part of it is that we surrender to His will. Where is the not my will but yours be done in the Christianity today? You just claim it. Claim what? How about we claim submission under Christ? My 11-year-old said, I need a chainsaw. Those of you who know her, that should frighten you mindless. Hey, there may be a day that will be a good thing. We can agree now is not that time. There is no positive application for a chainsaw for my 11-year-old. If that were the case, we would have to relocate her sister. But she could become a lumberjill. Does not right now. And the Lord knows. Listen, no good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. So there's two aspects to it. First, we're not walking uprightly. Or second, dare I say it, it's not a good thing. Or it's not a good thing yet. But here's the good news. God knows what a good thing is right now for you. God saw fit to put you in this room, and I am convinced it's a good thing. So listen. Can I go over, please? God's like, not now. But Moses did not turn and say, God did not answer my prayers. He said, you guys, he answered my prayers. 
And what he says is, look, you can do anything. Has anyone ever been like you? You are invincible. You're amazing. You are so awesome. You're infinite. You could do anything. Can I go over, please? He's not buttering him up. What he's saying is, you make ways when there aren't any ways. Could I please? Interesting, he's going to. Just not yet. So God says, go up to Pisgah. Lift up your eyes. You're going to see the land around you. You're going to die. I said it. I'm a a God of my word. Trust me. And then he says in verse 28, but command Joshua and encourage him and strengthen him because he's going to go over. And he will cause them to inherit the land in which you'll see. If we were reading this in the Greek, he would say, but go command Jesus and encourage him and strengthen him because he's going to go over before his people and cause them to inherit the land in which you see. Now, here's the crazy part about this as we bring this to close. Joshua is introduced in Scripture as a, as a soldier. I mean, he's been all kinds of things. He was one of the spies. He was a servant of Moses, the sidekick to Moses. He was serious about the law. But he was introduced as a soldier. When the people left Egypt and were attacked, their first battle they fought was against Amalek, which, by the way, is a type of the flesh. It's amazing how, once you actually say yes to Jesus, how the flesh really starts to show itself. Isn't it true? I mean, before that point, why would it be in battle? You were actually its friend. Now you're going to say no. You can't just go out and have sex with whatever you want. You can't always go out and get drunk all the time. You can't do that. That is not. And the flesh is like, but I like that. And it's like, yes, we're aware of that. So guess what? We are opposed. Don't expect to read the scripture and have your flesh go, oh, goody. It's not the way it works. But here's the most amazing thing to me. This guy who was actually introduced as a soldier, this was the place where Moses raises his hands and the battle is won. And you say, well, Moses is the real soldier. Try to tell that to Joshua who's there with a sword. Like, you're the guy who held up his hands. And we can agree, holding up your hands and surrender to God is how the flesh gets defeated. We're aware of that. But the guy introduced in there that's actually bringing the battle to victory is Yehoshua. That's how we meet him. Here's the crazy part. He was the guy that was a spy that actually said, let's go take the land. These giants are nothing. They are breakfast for us. God fights our battles, so shut up and let's go. And yet what he tells us here is, encourage him and strengthen him. Do you know at the beginning of the book of Joshua, named after the guy, when he will take him in, Joshua 1.6 says, be strong and of of good courage to Joshua. 1.7, only be strong and very courageous. Joshua 1.9, have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage. Don't be afraid nor dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. Joshua 1.18, only be strong and of good courage. Do you realize how many times does Joshua have to be told this? And this is the most amazing thing. Please don't miss this. Even soldiers need encouragement. You think, well, that guy's just out there winning the battles all the time. Well, you know what? They need to be encouraged too. When the bullets are whizzing by, it's not like the movies where, you know, how in the world do they have that force field, right? Those guys with like 60 bullets. You ever watch them? There's like 60 guys surrounding a guy. They all have machine guns. The guy kicks one guy with a machine gun, and none of the other 59 guys think, pull the trigger. They're like, let's wait for him to kick us. We'll hit him with our gun. What? And then after they all fall down, the next crowd comes in, another 60 guys with automatic weapons, and every bullet goes everywhere but where they are. And they turn around as they're falling through midair, and they go, and they shoot the one guy, right? Amazingly, with with dead-eye accuracy. But that's not real life, is it? You get hit. And somehow in all of that, you go, ow, that really hurts. He goes, yeah, it's real. The battle's real. This is not, this is not two-dimensional. This is for real. But that doesn't mean we're not going to win this. So wherever you're at, whatever battles you're fighting, soldiers, can I encourage you today with these simple words in review? Stand still. See the salvation of the Lord. Don't be afraid or dismayed because of this great multitude The battle's not yours. It's God's. With them is the arm of flesh. But with us is the Lord our God to help us and to fight our battles. And as it says in 1 Samuel 17, verse 47, And then all the people, the assembly, shall know that the Lord does not save with sword and spear. The battle is the Lord's. 
It's his job to give them into your hands. No weapon formed against you is going to prosper. That's Isaiah 54, 17, because all they can do is take down this tent. But the guy who lives in it goes home. Now, I'm not saying jump in front of a train because of that. And what I'm saying is, is that God is our victory. He, he, he is our victory. If you've accepted his gift, he's not just the Lord. He's not just God. He's the Lord, your God. And that takes choice. When you're sitting there on the platform in Camden, and you're going to take the northern line south, could go Bankside, could go Charing Cross side. Many of you know this. You're around somebody who isn't as familiar, they will ask, is this our train? If you say no, they may get on in any ways. We're aware of that. But if it's not your train, you stay on the platform, you go nowhere. But if it is your train, you get on and you go somewhere. Are you with me? Is he the Lord God or is he the Lord your God? Have you gotten on or are you going somewhere? All the next chapter, when we get to next week, will be, well, then what's the real battle? The real battle is staying behind him. Any of you really good with that? I will take pictures when we're in Israel in January. And I guarantee you there'll be several times when where I'm leading, half of the crowd will be in front of me. They won't, they've never been to Israel. They don't know where they're going. But somewhere down the line, if I'm walking straight, that probably means go straight forever. Or until you find a cat or a dog or something to take a picture of. It's amazing how many times when you're leading, people will get in front of you because they don't like your pace. But if you go too quick, the people in the back get lost. If you go too slow, the people in the front, they get bored. Listen, next week the whole thing is, if you want to follow, you're going to have to obey. Now some of you are already thinking, maybe I shouldn't come next week. Oh, I think you should, if that's the way you feel. That's your flesh saying, oh, I don't want to go to that one. Hear me, beloved, as we pray. My God so loved you and me that he didn't ask you to fight the battle the battle of your guilt and your shame. He sent his son Jesus to pay the price on the cross. He took the battle of your guilt and he conquered it. He took down that giant. He even took down the greatest one that you would know physically, death. And he took it on and he conquered that one too. Dying on the cross like a human being dies, tortured to death, laid in a tomb, and then three days later, rose again. Death, where is your sting? We sung it. All hell has been vanquished. The strong man has been defeated. Now we stand in victory. That's the part God did. He built the rails. He put on the train. The question is, is he your Lord and Savior today? As we pray, if you've not accepted the gift, you go, what, what do I have to do? It's simple. Declare Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Accept the gift he paid on the cross and let him wash it clean and say, I surrender myself to your leadership, which is, we could say it another way, I surrender myself to your lordship. You lead, I'll follow. But that's up to you. I won't force you, but you have that choice. As for me and my house, we're going to follow. You pray with me? Lord, I thank you for this beautiful text. On this communion Sunday, on this day when we prepare to t go to your table, we thank you for the blessing of this time. And I pray for every soldier in here. I pray, Lord, that you would Encourage us. Give us the faith to follow. To stand still and fight like a godly man. And watch you take down the giants. Let us walk through this spoil. 
hey, that in following you, we may be in prayer a lot. We may be fasting. We may be in your word a lot. We may be in fellowship a lot. We may go through the hardships. The bullets will still fly. But you're still victorious. You're always victorious. You are the undefeated heavyweight champion of the universe. You are undefeatable. And for every soldier here, get us back behind our commanding officer where we belong. Not to be inactive, but to leave that mountain of just knowing to the place of doing. And for that to happen, we can no longer be led by the storms of our own reason. But we will follow instead in the footsteps of faith. Today in this room, for those caught in this cycle, where it has to end with your lordship, where you become our Lord, let it be that we will willingly follow you as we should. Give us the faith to wait. Give us the trust, Lord, that when you say no, it's because it's not good now. Give us the trust to wait when we should. And to know you always have better. You're not a God of nots. You're a God of instead of. And Lord, I pray in this room right now for any and everyone who, there be anyone who, has, isn't sure whether they said yes to you ever or today is sure they've never said yes to you. Perhaps they've never been aware of the fact that there is a choice for them to make. Like a marriage. Not really married because you just decide one day that you want to put a ring on your finger. There's a proposal and an acceptance. You've done the proposal and now you're holding us to the acceptance. So, today in this room, We want to say yes. We declare you as our Lord and our Savior. Savior, because you paid for our guilt at the cross. Lord, because you've conquered death. And you seek to lead us. And we now are responsible to follow. So we follow. Declaring you, Jesus, as Lord. Teach us at your mountain and lead us to do. Pull us away from any form of going round and round to that place finally where we'll claim the land and be fruitful and useful and beneficial and a blessing and impacting in this dark world that would be dark without your light in it. Now set us, Lord, as sparks among dry ground. We pray for the salvation of London. Pray now that we would be part of that. As we say, yes, Jesus, confirm in our hearts what you're doing, washing us clean, declaring us innocent, and making us the new creation that you and only you can do. So we're yours, Jesus, as our Savior and Lord. We declare you in your name. If you agree with that, ask a confident, resounding, Amen.